Good morning and welcome back to yet another episode of Across the Pond. Barry, we are now fully into the swing of 2021 and some of us would like a, a bit of a refund on our eight or nine day trial that we've had so far. <laughs> what a crazy <laughs> week, Jay. What a crazy, crazy week. Lots of chaos going on around the world. It seems that we are still living in 2020 in some way. Maybe we haven't got to 2021 just yet, Chad. Yeah, pretty crazy indeed. Well, everyone, welcome to Across the Pond. I'm Chad in London and uh, tuned in via Zoom is is my co-host Barry Maurice sitting there in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's a nice, wonderful, bright, sunny morning on his side. <laughs> and for me, you know, I don't want to open out the windows uh, because it's still very dark outside. Nevertheless, <laughs> strap in. We've got a cracking episode for you today. Be our guest, be our guest, put our podcast to the test. Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Barry, we said we were going to this year focus a lot more on getting some interesting people on our podcast and just people that we are, you know, we are interested in ourselves personally and uh, want to learn from, right? And, uh, you know, just get our listeners as well uh, to to get some great insights from from these wonderful thinkers. And today uh, we have someone who I'm a massive fan on, Mitch Lally, who's tuned in uh, also via, via Zoom. Barry, do you want to give him a quick introduction before we start? Sure thing. So Mitch Lally is an incredible photographer and videographer, like you say, coming out of Australia. So we're coming to you over lots of ponds today, which is very, very exciting. <laughs> He's got about 14,000 followers on Instagram and over 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's really building a really cool community based around really, really high quality photography and videography. So I know Chad, this is right up your alley. He's done a lot of cool stuff and we're really excited to chat to him about creativity, about his process, about his journey so far. And yeah, I'm just really excited to have our first guest of 2021. Welcome, Mitch. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, it's an honor to be the first guest of 2021 and to see you guys and uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for, for joining. Uh, like we said, always good to get as many different puns uh, at the same time always really cool I mean just just to kick this one off uh, you mentioned yesterday where you where you staying so you, so you basically as far as I understand are in, in Brisbane uh, and you guys have finally sort of joined the lockdown life that we've been living uh, for a long time already yeah that's right and um, thanks to you guys because uh, we have had a scare <laughs> of the UK strain of coronavirus oh, right. um, which I think a lot of people are panicking about because it's supposed to be more um, contagious than, than what we've had here yeah. previously. Mm -hmm. So we've had one case um, come into our city and then they've subsequently locked down the entire city for three days. So from sure. Friday to sun, uh, till Monday, um, we all have to stay inside. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at at the moment and we're just past halfway through. So yeah, amazing. I mean, you know, when it comes to these lockdown things, we we just got to take it one day at a time. I mean, I'm in, in basically indefinite one at the moment, but it, it's at least until mid-February. Uh, hopefully we get out there before that. But anyway, we're not here to talk about COVID or lockdowns or any of that cool stuff. We're talking about uh, creativity, right? We're talking about uh, the things that, you know, keep us on this on this earth living uh, our passions uh, so let's start about creativity just in a general context uh, what does it mean to you um, and you know why did you decide to basically pick this path uh, you know in terms of your career yeah that's an interesting question I think um, I've always identified or seen myself as a creative person I've never been particularly book smart in the way of like being able to retain information uh, but when it comes to I guess thinking about or creating new things um that's always sort of sparked an air like sparked my brain i guess you could say um yeah so since i was younger i just have always been interested in 
doing creative things, whether it's been music or art or skateboarding, I think it is also sort of a cool. like a creative outlet, I think. Um, and what was the other question? Like, how did I, how did I start? Yeah. So I guess that ticks off the, you know, why did you pick creativity as your path, but just more broadly, like what, what does creativity mean to you? I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, are wondering whether they themselves have any creative elements within them. Uh, you know, do you have to always create something from scratch? Like what, what you know, what does creativity mean to you broadly speaking? Yes. Um, that's really interesting. Cause I was having this conversation with somebody, um, just recently and, I, f- I feel like creativity is is problem solving. I think it, it fundamentally yeah. creativity is problem solving, but it's a different kind of problem solving where I feel like traditionally, you know, you think about mathematics or science, problem solving is, you know, you either have an incorrect answer or a correct answer and then you, you know, you test that theory. Whereas I feel like creativity is a form of problem solving where the outcome or the answer is not necessarily right or wrong. It, it it's yeah. all subjective and I feel like creativity is just, I guess, bringing something new to the world, something that expresses, you know, a certain emotional feeling or idea. And um, for me, that's really exciting. I think that, um, you know, we grow up, we're always, I guess, taught that, you know, learning or creativity or finding your way in this world is, you know, is about like having the correct answer. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like expression is so open and it's beautiful and yeah, I'm honored to be a creative and I love doing it and that's why I've, I've basically devoted my life to it. So yeah. And I, th- I think the beauty of the internet these days is that you don't have any gatekeepers that have to give you permission to create anymore. You don't have to convince some record executive or some sort of production company or any of that. You can just go and use channels like YouTube, use all these platforms to create for yourself and find your little niche audience wherever they are in the world, whatever they're interested in, and really make a career out of it. So how do you think about that? Like when you were growing up, did you did you see creativity as a career path or was it just kind of a, something you really enjoyed at that stage? And at what, at what part of your life did you realize, hold on a minute, I can actually turn this into something I can pay my bills at the end of the month. Yeah. So um, I always thought that I was going to be a creative and I didn't know whether it was going to be part of my career or not, but I was always urged like from a young age by my parents to get an education. So whether that was like doing really well in school or going to university, which was the path that I chose. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do something that I didn't like as a career Um And so I guess around the age of like 20 to 23, I decided that like, I really wanted to start pursuing a creative endeavor. And at that time it was music. And um, yeah, I wanted to make that into a career. I just wasn't sure how. Um, And yeah, I think what you said about like the whole internet opening up the world of creatives and, and all that is, it's very, I guess it was good timing for me because when I started out, you know, I, I started doing weddings. So in the beginning I bought a camera, um, for the purpose of documenting like my, my music, I wanted to make a YouTube channel about like making music. And I began to realize that I wasn't very good at the whole filming thing and I wanted to get better at it. So I started researching and then that's what sucked me into the world of making videos. And yeah, really, um, at the time, because all of my friends were into music, um, I started filming, you know, music videos and all those sorts of things. And then one day my friend said, Oh, how about you film 
my sister's wedding. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll give that a go. I've never been to a wedding, let alone, you know, filmed one, but I'll give it a go. And um, yeah, I mean, since then, uh, it, it all just took off for me and that became my full-time job. But as you said, no one ever really asked me for my piece of paper, like my credentials or anything like that. It was, you know, and a lot of people ask me, oh, should I go to film school? And I just sort of say, well, like it... <laughs> I mean, it depends, but probably not because, you know, um, yeah, the world is different now. Um, and, you know, you can have a portfolio online of, of all of your work and that's all that you need. You don't need to say that you went to university or that you studied formally or that you have a mentor or anything like that. You can simply just get going and... Um, I think that's amazing. I, yeah, I love it. That was yeah, a really yeah, long that, rant, but hopefully that went to the place that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely did. I mean, I, that's a, an amazing story. And, and I guess actually a little bit of an insight, something that I had no idea about you and that musical interest. And uh, I mean, just in terms of that, let's let's explore that for, for a little a little bit. W- what exactly were you going to do? Uh, are you more into the kind of pro- producing of music? Uh, you know, do you actually uh, play an instrument or, or sing? What was your entry into into that world? Yeah, so um, I've always I've always liked music ever since I was younger. I'd say that that's like my that's like my number one passion in life. I think people would look okay. at me and they'd say, oh, "Like, of course, like he's <laughs> definitely photography and videos is like number one thing." But really, music is the thing that uh, I mean gets me most excited and and makes me happy. Um, and I started out being really into. Um, playing the guitar. So in high school, I got really into playing the guitar and I was in a few bands um, playing some like sort of punk and more heavy music. And that was sort of my first exposure to music, uh, apart from obviously doing music lessons in in primary school, playing the violin and the piano and stuff like that. Um, And then it's sort of my, my taste sort of morphed and I began to listen to a lot more hip hop music and a lot more electronic music. And then I sort of got into producing music um, more in sort of that um, hip hop and electronic sort of vein. So I guess uh, a combination of hip hop and electronic music um, was what I was producing at the time. And there were some people on YouTube that I was really inspired by and I wanted to be like them. And so I started thinking about making videos about the music that I was making, yeah. That's just amazing. And like Barry said, you've now built up this incredible community uh, that you've got on YouTube. And I mean, one of those creators that I've found extremely accessible just in terms of, uh, you know, you actually are genuinely there to help people out and help people people learn as well, um, which which I, of course, appreciate. So obviously now you're at that point where you've, you've transitioned from music uh, into videography and photography uh, and for me are almost the authority on like behind the scenes uh, portrait shoots portrait shoots the, the kind of shots and stuff that you get are just incredible uh, just in terms of the wedding stuff as well I think you filmed one of your friends out in the in the Alps or something incredibly scenic background and I mean that is that little clip just alone for me was you know one of the most scenic and uh, just most extraordinary kind of uh, wedding sort of summaries that I've, I've seen in a long time. Um, so in terms of that, in terms of getting to that, you clearly, very clearly have an incredibly distinctive style uh, in, terms of, in terms of the look of your, of your videos. Um, how did you develop that? I think a lot of us get in this kind of rut of uh, getting to the edit room and you have so many different options of where you want this thing to go. Uh, you've clearly developed this distinctive style. Uh, how did you get there? Yeah, um, I gotta say that 
I have been in that situation so many times where I get to the edit and I just have no idea what I'm doing. I would say that like <laughs> the vast majority of my career so far has been that has been that moment. Um, okay. And only recently I have found my style and become comfortable and, and stuff in that style. Um, to me, it just comes down to making a decision about who you are and what you want to create. And that's a hard thing to do because in the world of like social media and watching YouTube videos every single day, we get inspired and influenced by so in so many different directions by so many different things. And one day you could be like, oh, wow, you know, this creator, their style is amazing and this and that and whatever. And then the next day it could be something completely different. And I recognized that in myself and I thought, well, you know, I'm being pulled in all these different directions. One day I'm going to have to just, you know, be like that other person or, you know, this person or that person and have a style and like, you know, and so I kind of just realized that. And I thought it was similar to, to when I decided that like filming weddings was going to be my full-time job. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do this and everything else I'm just going to say no to. And so and I, I felt like at that point, I, I felt like that was one of the best decisions I made has, would just, was just to cut everything else out and just focus on that one thing. And that's what led to like a lot of my growth and a lot of my, I guess, like um, happiness at the end of the day. So yeah. I, I realized that with, with the photography and the video and I thought, you know, who are the people that I really, when I see their work and I, I watch their work and I just really feel connected to it, I really feel like energized by it. And I wrote those, you know, those few people down and I, I looked at their work and I thought, you know, how did they achieve that? And I just worked really hard. It was like a couple of years where I was just like trying to, every single time I'd sit down to edit, I would just, you know, refer back to their work and just think, okay, they've okay. done this and they've done that. And it wasn't just one person that I was sort of like trying to copy. It was just mainly like a few people, like maybe three or four different creators that I was like, and I sort of, I guess came to the middle where, you know, I took the similar colors from one person's videos or photos and then the the style of composition from another photographer and then the subject matter from another photographer and I blended them all together into a style that I felt was my own. And I think to this day, like it's still um, being, I guess, developed. And I think that a style is always going to be a work in progress. It's never going to be something that's concrete. But at least like know where you're going, what direction you're going in. I think that's the most important thing and like stay true to your, stay true to what makes you feel most happy and most like, I guess what expresses the things that you want to express to the world. Um, stay true to those things. That, that's probably the best answer I can give. And just moving on to more of like a storytelling element, because obviously you, you want the things to look as good as they can and the colors and the composition, all of that matters. But at the end of the day, you're trying to tell stories with these pieces of art. How do you think about that storytelling? Because I think for a lot of photographers and videographers, they focus so much on the gear, they focus so much on the, yep. the bits and pieces and all the, the nitty gritty details that, that makes it like as, as an exciting field as it is. But at the end of the day, you're trying to move people, you're trying to like create emotion, especially in a wedding situation. Like it's, there's so much emotion on that day and there's so much, so many stories to tell. How do you think about that storytelling and is it a key focus of yours? Um, how have you kind of developed that skill over time? Yeah, I think it's something that I'm still struggling with now in terms of the YouTube video stuff. And it's something that this year is actually going to be a big focus for me is creating stories mm -hmm. and not just creating videos. Um, 
I can really, I can talk about it in terms of the weddings because I've done that for eight years and I feel like I've gotten to a point where I can say that like, you know, I am a storyteller in that sort of sense. And I think the most important thing to me was when I met a couple and when I had the opportunity to tell their story, I would always focus on what made them unique um, and try to really exploit that, I guess, is like make that the forefront of the video because every single wedding video is pretty similar when you think about it. You know, a couple, you know, they met in a certain way and they have, you know, a certain certain personalities and then they come together and they, they go to the altar and the priest or the pastor or the celebrant says this, this and that. Then they have a party after and friends get up and say stuff. But it's really like in between those moments, like really digging into what makes them like, I guess what makes them compatible and, you know, how they came together. And I feel like digging into that and, and really caring about that for my couples actually made their wedding day better because they were like, oh, hang on a second. Someone is like, cares about our story and thinks our story is amazing. And then they're going to like present that into a video. Like, this is cool. Like, and they start thinking about their story and they start embracing it and they see it from sort of like an outsider's point of view, which I think is really cool as well. Um, So I think it's really digging into what makes the couple unique or what, what makes the subject unique. And, um, yeah. And, and then when they, when their friends and family see the video, they're like, oh, wow, that video was like, that wasn't just a video. That was, a, that was a video about you guys. And, you know, yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't know that like, um, that, that happened on your first date. Oh, I didn't know that that happened when, when you guys proposed to each other or whatever it was. And, and mm-hmm. just, yeah, bringing out these little details. I think that's what makes a story come alive is the details. Yeah, that's amazing. That really is just being able to, like you say, get to know the couple in that kind of way. And I think a lot of a lot of wedding videographers would just take this transactionally, right? They would literally look at every wedding as, like you say, just a, new, a kind of series of events and just churn out churn out the the, the goods without really thinking about the uh, these really important little stories in between. So the fact that you go that extra length to to truly understand the couple and understand their journey and present it in that way, I'm sure, comes across amazingly. So let's just talk then about one of the phenomena you just mentioned there Mitch which is that sometimes we we take for granted the experiences that we've gone through ourselves we don't think that they're very noteworthy right because we've gone through them ourselves and so for a lot of people when it comes to starting a YouTube channel or you know starting sharing uh, whatever journey it is that they're on uh, they particularly they themselves don't really think uh, you know it's too interesting because they're living it they, they're doing it every single day uh, but as you just mentioned from an outsider's perspective it's always fascinating to get an insight uh, into people uh, people's development right and uh, learning new things so how would you kind of describe that philosophy um, and you know how it kind of got you into realizing that your insights and your journey really really can help a whole lot of people out there uh, learn new things yeah um i think i've always kind of i think i've always recognized that because i've had people who helped me and i've been interested in other people's journeys and stories of, of how they came to be and, you know, came to the place that they were at. And I think very early on when I started my business, I had, um, I had sort of like, I had an apprentice and I wanted to teach him everything that I knew 
um, and so that he could help me in my business. And then I could also, I guess, give him a career in something that he loved to do. And I guess that was sort of like the genesis of me wanting to share my information and share the things that I've learned with other people. Also, I'd been through the struggle of really just like having the people around me in my life tell me that, oh, you'll never make money as a creative and you'll never make it in this world. You know, you'll always need to have a backup plan or you'll always need to, you know, have a degree to fall back on. And I see, you know, a lot of very creative, very talented people being told that story, that narrative over and over again. And I want to be there to tell them that you can do it because, I mean, I'm not particularly special. Like I don't have... I'm not talented. I'm not, you know, particularly gifted in any way. And I did it. So I just wanted to be there as like, not just an example, but hopefully somebody who offers up some kind of advice and and tips and stuff along the way. And I guess that's what really drives me to make YouTube videos is really just to help other people see that like it's possible to, I guess, make it, uh, quote unquote, make it in this creative world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that, that's 100% 100% true and, and Barry and I both followed that more traditional path that, that you mentioned uh, which is get the backup first and then and then what you find is you, you're in this uh, wonderful career and you know you, you, you're you earning enough money and all that kind of thing but here we are here we are we, we're creating stuff on the weekends and uh, you know we, it's one of those kind of inner yearns that just doesn't it doesn't die right if you want to make stuff it just doesn't die so how important do you think it is to, to feed that that yearn um, and you know what sort of advice would you give people uh, you know when they when they do have loads of ambitions but of course uh, have gone the more traditional path and and have a nine to five yeah um, that's something I think about a lot because I guess what you're really talking about there is that sort of transition from going from a very stable life yep. uh, to a life that is you know a little bit um, there's a lot of uncertainties and so that transition and and I was really lucky where I had a job with um, my dad actually and I was studying at the same time and so um, you know he was pretty used to me coming and going whenever I wanted to but my job basically went from five days a week to four days a week to three days a week to you know one day every now and then to basically just gone completely freelance so I was lucky in that respect Um, but I guess up until that point, you know, I just became the guy that everybody knew uh, in my friend circle, you know, the video guy, the photo guy. And I think that once you start doing good work and you show the people around you that you're passionate about it and that you want to do it, um, opportunities will just start to come to you. And I know it's different for everyone in different parts of the world. And, you know, I might've gotten really, really lucky with where I was at at the time. You know, I was very young and I had a lot of friends who were getting married around me. So that really helped to, I guess, propel the business. But yeah, I guess it's just planning that exit strategy um, long-term, making sure that, you know, because it it could be very slow. It could be very fast. It it really depends on on how lucky you get. But I mean, if you're putting the work in every single weekend um, in any, basically what I would do when I, like when I was working, I would work a full day and then I would come home half an hour, have some food and then I would go to the gym and then I would get back from yeah. the gym around 9 p.m. and I would go on YouTube until sometimes 1 a.m. in the morning looking up tutorials, wow. learning how to shoot photos and video and stuff like that and then I would get up at 
six the next day and go back to work. So I was like operating on four to five hours of sleep a night, not very healthy. And then on the weekends, I would go out and I would film concerts. I would film birthday parties. I'd photograph anything that I could basically get my hands on. I was just shooting the entire time. And um, yeah, there were points where I thought like, I'm going to kill myself doing this, but it was like, (laughs) I loved it. Like I was just, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, if you want it that bad, it'll come. It'll eventually come. It's just like, be ready and and plan your exit. Um, I've got a friend at the moment, actually, who is working full-time. His contract is ending at the end of this month, actually. But he's working full-time and he started getting these little jobs, you know, like... Uh, this company will give you gave him two thousand dollars to shoot for this product shoot. You know, there's a a model who wants to build her portfolio. She's offering him, you know, a couple hundred dollars to shoot here and there, and his jobs have just been slowly building over time. And yep. now he's at the point where he's like, well, at the end of this month, should I, you know, try to get that get another contract working for this company, or should I just go and get a three day a week retail job? You know just something that's going to, I guess, pay his rent and and whatnot Um, and really just start going hard into picking up more of these freelance jobs. And I'm sort of like, definitely, I'm like pushing him in that direction because I see the talent, I see the potential, I see the passion. And yeah, he's like almost got that exit strategy like worked out. And so I'm really excited to see where that goes. I think it's such a key point because I think a lot of creatives have this idea that they have to burn the boats. They have to kind of throw everything into the river and start afresh and just kind of live that starving artist lifestyle. But they, they, they are really are ways and there are guidelines and there's this proof that you can do this stuff in your after hours if you have the work ethic yep. and you're willing to put the work in. So that, that's a really important thing for a lot of us, I think, is that you don't have to burn everything to the ground and start afresh and try to make it. You can you can try and build it on the side. And like you say, when it gets to an organic level where it's growing to a point where okay, I physically cannot do all of this anymore, then you can start to make that decision a bit later down the line. I wanted to pick up on one of your points there talking about creation versus consumption. I think with a lot of people, it's very easy to sit on YouTube and watch tutorials for hours and hours and hours and hours and think that you're getting somewhere. But if you're not actually going out and actually doing the shooting, if you're not actually going and testing your skills and actually creating stuff yourself, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that you're making progress where in essence, all you're just doing is watching other people's stuff. How do you think about that balance between learning from other people and trying to consume other pieces of content to see what resonates and see what's really good Versus actually getting out there for hours and hours, like you say, on the weekends and shooting your own stuff. Yeah, so that that is actually a big mistake that I see a lot of beginner creatives making and that is delving too far into the consumption of whether it's tutorials or, you know, watching other people's work and not doing the work enough for themselves. Um, I definitely think there needs to be a good split between, you know, investing in your own craft and in, in your own education about what you're trying to do but i guess there's a point of going overboard where you know you're not actually creating and you're just sort of hooked on it's it's a, it's a lot of what i see with people who are sort of hooked on self-help they they read the books and they listen to the podcasts and they do all the goal setting but they don't do very much goal smashing you know what i mean and that is sort of a, yeah. i think that's yeah. not just in the creative industry that's that that's ubiquitous and i, I think that um yeah, like the old saying goes, practice makes perfect, right? And, you know, I've filmed close to 500 weddings and wow. I can go to a wedding now and not feel nervous, just go there, stay completely cool and calm the entire time. You know, these really tense moments where I used to be sweating gallons, I'm now just like <laughs> cool as a cucumber. And, 
you know, I think that like that there's like just, just the reps, you just need the reps in order to get there. And, um, yeah, I just, I think it's just like maybe just setting small goals for yourself rather than, you know, just being like, Oh, I want to create the best stuff ever. Just being like, (laughs) I'm going to create a one minute video that has this effect in it, or that has this storyline to it, or that has this shot transition and just setting those little goals and being like, I'm just going to create this one piece of content. I'm going to get it done and I'm going to show it to my friends. They can give me some feedback. Then I'm going to go back to the drawing board, back to the computer, and I'm going to learn the next thing. Um, so yeah, just not, not trying to like consume like six months worth worth of information and then make that into one video, your like magnum opus video of the year, (laughs) um, with all of that stuff in it is just like set small goals, little chunks at a time and just, yeah, learning. Um, yeah, but I think it is important. It is important to always be thirsty for education and thirsty for knowledge. That'll get you pretty far, I think. Yeah, and I suppose now that we all have all of this extra free time on our hands, uh, we certainly can invest in our crafts uh, in the way that you you mentioned. Um, okay, so obviously as we're running out a little bit of time, I wanted to, on a more personal level, the way that you're going to balance your time uh, this year. I know you also have a very keen focus on on running, uh, which which you are are doing in a really big way uh, of late. Uh, and then of course your your friendship group, and uh, you know just getting that uh, wonderful meaningful time with with friends uh so you know how do you how do you balance your time up uh, on on those fronts as well yeah well i I mean on the friend um front i think i'm really i've sort of built a friendship group that all have a common interest so often we'll go out together for coffee um and we'll all bring our laptops and we'll sit there and edit we'll show each other our work and stuff like that and um that's a really great way to like stay productive but also obviously have quality time with your friends now there is some time where i'll definitely be leaving the computer at home you know and i guess like (laughs) trying to forget about that with my friends and and there's times where i just need to be here alone working for a few days straight sometimes um to be honest um getting stuff done so I think for me, like everything revolves around like what I'm doing at the moment. It's like, you know, everything revolves around the next three YouTube videos that I'm going to create. That's just always been my life. It's, it's always been what I've done. I just, I'm trying to build stuff. I'm trying to do things I'm proud of. And I've just never really found myself entirely happy and comfortable when I'm like sitting there watching, you know, South Park or something. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I love it. I love it. But like I'm never like fully fulfilled as when I'm like in the zone, like sitting here, like editing something that I know is going to be epic and, and, and that stuff. (laughs) So yeah, I think I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be putting the time in. Um, but then like when the boys want to hang out, like we're hanging out, like we're doing stuff and that's also really fun. And I'm really lucky in that I just kind of get to decide what I want to do whenever and I don't really have a boss. I don't really have anyone telling me what to do, which is awesome. But I still find my way back here to this computer to do work, like <laughs> literally every day. Like there's not a day that goes by that I don't sit here and do some kind of work or at least emailing people off my phone or something like that. Um, and yeah, the running has been really good. Um, I've really been enjoying that. So I've just been trying to increase my my fitness a little bit because I've, yeah. been, I've been lifting weights for a few years and that's been... Um, a lot of fun. Like it's been 10 years now that I've, I've been in the gym consistently. Um, but I felt like I was really missing like another part of like my fitness. And it was just like, 
setting a goal and just being like, oh, I want to be able to run this fast at this amount, like this distance and this amount of time. And I don't know, that's been a really good escape as well and a good release for me because you can't sit here all the time. You need to be outside doing stuff. And and so that's why I'm not completely white. I've actually been going outside. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. So yeah, I'd say it's like um, how I think about splitting up my time, I would say is I try to work at least four hours a day in whatever capacity. And then I try to exercise for at least an hour a day. Um, and then everything else, I guess, is just, it's either or. It's either doing more work if I think I need it or it's going to see my friends. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really just like whatever I feel like doing. And it's kind of cool, actually. I, a lot of people, I say, like I say to a lot of people, when people ask me, when are you free? I say to a lot of people, well, like I'm kind of free all the time, <laughs> but, but also I'm busy. So it's like, it's kind of yeah, weird. It's yeah. like, I'm free all the time, but I'm also really busy. So I don't, know. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's very strange thing. I've certainly found a lot of my friends. I also run a freelance type business and a lot of my friends who are living traditional lives. Just don't get it. If you, yeah. if you haven't lived this lifestyle, it's hard to relate to, to that sort of uh, way of time. So I completely get it. Yeah, yeah. We're coming to the end of time and I really appreciate your time, Mitch. I wanted to ask you one final question before we close up and that is, 2021, of course, 2020 was a really shit year for a lot of people and a lot of people were really struggling. And 2021, hopefully that like new beginning, that fresh bit of air as the world starts to get towards normal, hopefully. If we could wave a magic wand and anything was possible, where would you like to be in a year's time? Your YouTube channel, your creative work, like what do you, what do you see coming in the next year for Mitch Lally? Um, I, I say like I have... I have these goals that are attached to like numbers, you know, amount of subscribers I would like to have or, you know, amount of views that I would like to have on my videos and, and stuff like that. But it's when I, when I get down to it, it's not really, it's, it's not really the output or the outcome that I want to get out of what I'm trying to do with my YouTube channel. I guess what I'm trying to do with the channel is exactly what I told you guys before is just yeah. being an example of here's a guy who did it. He made his passion, his you know, creative outlet, his career. And there's no reason why you can't do it. And not just that, here are some ways that you can. And so the yeah. main thing that I want to get done this year that I really hope to get done last year, but didn't quite get there because of obvious reasons is create like kind of just condensing everything that I know and that I've learned into one digestible piece of content. So at this stage, oh. it's looking like I'm going to be creating an online course. So that's something that I really want to do this year. And that's sort of the only goal I have really is just giving back to the community and helping other people to get to that, I guess, level. Um, but also at the same time, I want that course to be able to reach as many people as possible. So I'm also thinking yep. about, you know, I want to get a lot of views and I want to get a lot of subscribers on, on YouTube. So I mean, I'd love to get to 50,000 subscribers. I know it's not that far away from where I'm at at the moment. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and I guess just making more videos that I'm proud of and maybe actually making more creative stuff actually, because cool. I feel like a lot of what I've made so far is, is just, Hey, here's me doing a shoot. Um, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> here are the photos. Hope you guys like it. Whereas I would like to, I guess, put more thought into my shoots um, going forward. Um, and I guess have more of an idea, like this is what I want to create. This is my idea and this is how I'm going to go about it, you know, and then show the sort of process. So I guess those two things, probably most important things that I'm thinking about right now. So, yeah. 
Well, that's amazing. And uh, hopefully that magic wand does get waved and you get every single one of those little goals. I'm certainly looking forward to that online course whenever it does come out. Uh, but, you know, just for in terms of on behalf of your whole community, Mitch, I wanted to say thank you so much for everything that you do. Uh, I certainly have learned an incredible amount f- from you and will certainly be, be keeping my eyes in your direction uh, to just soak up as much as I possibly can. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, as Barry said, we really are very appreciative of it. And what better guest to kick off 2021 uh, than the one and only Mitch Lally. Thanks so much for, for joining, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun chatting to you guys. And yeah, I hope to do it again soon. Amazing. Barry, shall we look at the week that was? Let's do it, Chad. The week that was. Barry, I'm so glad we had kicked this podcast off with our first guest of 2021. And what an epic epic little segment i thoroughly enjoyed having him on likewise chad and i hope that everyone listening and watching at home really got something out of his work yeah. we'll drop all these links in the description so go and support him he really is a very Definitely. talented creator and he's got a lot of cool stuff so if you're into creativity and into that sort of stuff please go and check his work out he really is superb and, and really cool that we on three different continents chad from africa <laughs> to europe to australia what a crazy across the pond moment yeah absolutely 100 so now we're on the week that was barry let's chat about this chaos that has been uh, the first little taste of 2021 and uh, i mean we're looking at the you know the basically the guiding light of democracy around the world uh, just completely crumbling this past week such a crazy story chad I, I remember i was i was having a one of those days where i was a bit tired i was getting to the end of my day and i was like okay, i'm gonna go and have an early sleep i'm gonna get some good sleep in yeah. i know how important sleep is so i went and lay in my bed and as most of us do i just was gonna scroll for a little bit just to see what's happening in the world and so i went out to twitter chad and i'm scrolling i'm scrolling and all of a sudden i see this video this crazy scene of these thousands of trump supporters storming the u.s capitol yeah. building in what looks like a zombie movie they they're climbing up on the walls. They got ropes going over the top. They're breaking through windows. Absolutely crazy scenes. And basically what transpired was that there were thousands of these Trump supporters who were trying to disrupt the certification of the election results. So all the yep. senators were inside the building certifying the fact that Joe Biden is going to become the next president of the United States. But the Trump supporters have still not conceded the election and they wanted to stop this happening. And so they stormed the Capitol building. And like you say, this building is iconic. Like it's that iconic home of modern democracy. And to see it being ransacked and vi- and like, like violated and broken into was just insane, Chad. Yeah, certainly staggering. I mean, I was still busy working and, uh, you know, just working <laughs> in my zone, in my focus. Um, and I get these push notifications pop through and and who is it oh no it's barry uh barry just (laughs) flooding my inbox with these twitter uh you know as kind of real-time moment because i suppose that's how we get news these days especially when you have uh, people who are actually inside the senate uh who had a full-on session uh, that was in progress and are now busy lying down on the floors uh with kind of mars gas masks on uh, busy tweeting from the floors um, so just that moment of receiving all those tweets from you, Barry, and, and getting kind of uh, pulled out of the focus on the work <laughs> that I was busy with, uh, it certainly is a moment that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life because, like you say, this kind of actual happening uh, is just something we've never seen before. Um, and, you know, following on, we've seen a whole bunch of actions taken against uh, Trump, uh, who a lot of people said, you know, may have slightly uh, kind of pushed this this thing to happen. 
<laughs> I think slightly is very generous there, Chad. I think he definitely incited this stuff with the kind of things that he'd been saying. You can't, you can't for the last month or so say the election is a fraud. The election is a fraud. Yep. Keep repeating this rhetoric and expect nothing to happen. Especially when he was kind of glorifying this idea that America was going to stay strong and they were going to use the will of the people and they were going to make sure the Democrats don't steal this election. And so the stop the steal kind of hashtag really was the yep. the, the guiding call here. And unfortunately, Trump has found himself in the place where basically everyone has left him. His, his favorite <laughs> news channel, Fox News, has kind of cut ties. Yep. And this week, Mike Pence cut ties because basically what happens in the U.S. is that that a vice president kind of looks after the election results because it's a conflict of interest to have the president kind of be that be that person. So Mike Pence was the person who was in charge of certifying these results. And Trump was saying to him, stop it. No, no, no. Like, it doesn't matter what the votes happen. We need to cull this election. There was lots and lots of fraud. We need to kind of cut it and start again. And Mike Pence wrote this amazing letter saying, listen, American democracy doesn't work like that. And this is the will of the people. You've had 60 different lawsuits go to courts all around the country, and wow. there's been no evidence of widespread fraud. And so Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, kind of cut ties. And that, for Trump, I think was the last straw of, like, he's now fully isolated. And so, yeah, he kind of came on and with some pressure. He kind of said... We don't want to have violence. We, we please go home, etc. But in a way, in, yeah. in a video, we also said we still love you and we still believe in the, the American people. And this very mixed messaging, as opposed to saying, "Listen, guys, this is ridiculous. Yep. Go home. Do not. Why? Why are you protesting this thing?" Yep. So I think that is why the chaos happened. And then the social media companies, Chad, decided <laughs> to to take have their say. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the fascinating part for me. Is uh, you know for a long time Trump's kind of messaging platform of choice has been. Twitter. It is his way of communicating to the rest of the world. We're talking about <laughs> world leaders. We're talking about really important global issues uh, just being sent fired off with a, a little tweet. And uh, I mean, Twitter banning him uh, is just a crazy thing to see. Like you say, you've got this period of time now, Barry, where he's finding himself completely isolated from the rest of the world. We're talking about all sorts of uh, social media platforms and services, all completely banning him. And the crazy thing for me at this point is that he still is the current president. <laughs> How bizarre is that, Chad? If you were to see this in Venezuela or Africa or <laughs> Russia, it would kind of make sense. would be like, okay, cool. Coups happen every now and then. This is kind of what happens. They silence political opposition. But this is the United States of America, and the sitting president is now not allowed to tweet. It's absolutely yeah. bizarre. Can you imagine, Chad, being in that room at Twitter with Trump being probably your number one traffic generator, right? Trump is what's kept Twitter relevant, to be brutally honest, for yep. the last four years. And it is the reason that Twitter has become such a big part of politics is because Trump has built his whole like brand and his whole communication platform, like you say, on the platform. So it, it's a huge decision to decide to permanently ban him from the platform. And it obviously has huge ramifications. I think a lot of people are very happy about it because they don't want to see Trump being able to speak to his supporters and the glorifying of violence and all the stuff that he's done in the past. But there's also another side of the coin here, Chad, and talking about freedom of speech yep. and how much power people like Twitter, companies like Twitter have in being able to silence people at their whims. And and the whole idea of freedom of speech is that you're supposed to be able to say whatever you want, right? You're supposed to be able to have that free voice. And that's what America is built on is being able to kind of speak your voice and speak your truth. And it is a huge, huge deal to ban the president of the United States from a free speech perspective. It's very strange. My gosh, what a crazy time, Barry, and crazy chain of events, really. Uh, I hope we don't ever 
longer have to see uh, those kind of pictures of uh, people's ransacking uh, the capital ever again. Barry, let's talk about something that affects us on a day-to-day basis. We communicate uh, predominantly through a platform that is owned by Facebook, uh, one that is called WhatsApp. And for a long time, we even on this podcast have questioned you know, what is their plan here ultimately? What is their plan with this app that is not monetized, that has no adverts? Why is this part of the Facebook arsenal? And uh, we've seen a privacy policy this week that that's kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse into that. And Chad, I've got a big confession to make because I fell victims to the same thing that I hate on every single week, and that is reading headlines. Yeah. And so I saw all the headlines about this WhatsApp privacy policy, and I didn't read the articles at first because I just assumed that this policy meant that they were finally going to start looking at our chats and start selling <laughs> us advertising based on what we're talking to our friends about. And I think a lot of people have done that. And that's why I wanted to bring the story up is to kind of just remind people to please read the article and not yep. just the headline. Because the privacy policy, of course, is a big discussion point and it, 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 it is a dangerous one because it looks like it could be a slippery slope. But as far as I understand, what, what is happening in this privacy policy is all that they're doing is they are now kind of taking some of the personal data from your WhatsApp account, and it's now going to be linked to a Facebook account if you have a Facebook account. So things like your contact list, your phone number, your profile picture, some diagnostic data as to how you use the app, et cetera, et cetera. And that information is now going to be shared with your Facebook account, which will all be connected in the Facebook family. The chats themselves, the actual conversations with your friends and your family, are going to stay completely encrypted and no one can read that. So that is the key thing to get here, is that this is not... Your chats are not all of a sudden now out in the ether. The encryption is still in place, and it's more the surrounding data that's being sucked up. Yep. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. It's, it still is worrying. But unfortunately, if you have a Facebook account at the moment, a lot of the stuff they're already doing, there's very little new here. And so if you're living on Facebook and on WhatsApp at the moment, this privacy policy does not change that much about how much data is being transferred. But what it does do is it starts this conversation about, like you say, as they move on the road to monetization, is this a slippery slope? Are we getting to a stage where they're going to start taking chances or start kind of pushing the boundaries on the privacy between your Facebook account and your WhatsApp account? And if so, a lot of people are going to be looking to switch messaging platforms, which is a whole another kettle of fish. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I mean, I like I like the kind of stressing what this is, Barry, and what this is not. And like you say, your messages are still encrypted. But I think it is important to understand what it is that they're doing with your data. And like you say, the data that lives on your phone outside of the ecosystem ecosystem so of course within Facebook we know they have access to your friends list of course it lives within Facebook Uh, but to have access to your actual contacts that are stored on your phone um, it just gives them an extra data point uh, to potentially get extra kind of advertising information for you so obviously Barry you've got a Facebook account I've got a Facebook account we both load our our numbers on our Facebook accounts and we've now got WhatsApp accounts too they know how frequently you and I interact uh, because they have got access to that information they don't know what we say Uh, which is important but they know that we frequently interact the time of days uh, all of that kind of stuff and using that information using my interests that they also gain from Facebook using your interests that they gain from your Facebook uh, they're basically piecing together much more of a better picture um, as to essentially uh, what might work in terms of advertising on you or me Exactly. And that's the tricky thing about this. That's why this is such an ethical dilemma, because theoretically, it's going to make our experience better. It's going to make those ads more relevant. It's going to make our experience, hopefully on Facebook, I'll see more from the people I 
actually interact with on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis and not those high school friends that I met 10 years ago and I've never spoken to again, you know, all those thousands of Facebook friends that we call them, yeah. which actually we don't care about what's going on in their life. Yeah. So the question we really have to ask is, is that worth it? Is the benefit of that slightly improved experience worth giving up that extra data? And a lot of people think that it isn't. And I, for one, am, am a little bit worried about it. I, I'm not as worried as I once was when I was just reading the headlines, but I'm still a little bit worried about where this is going. And I've been looking into some other apps, but the difficulty is nope. if you want to move to an app like Signal, like a lot of people are trying to do, how do you convince everybody that you know to move to a new app? One of the best things about WhatsApp is that everybody that I talk to is yep. on WhatsApp. And so it's one of those things where it's so convenient. I don't want to have yep. six different messaging apps <laughs> for different people and have to look at them all periodically. I just I don't want to do that. So it's a hard social thing to say, cool guys, we're all going to drop WhatsApp and at the same time, we're going to move everything to a new app. It's just, it's not, not that easy. Barry, do you want to make Make a heck of a lot of money why don't you invent an app that has a whole bunch of apis that integrate to all of the various <laughs> messaging platforms right i mean that's ultimately the perfect solution uh, that, that we need and, and we want <laughs> no but but chad they're all encrypted so you can't read from the api that's fair the enough. whole point so fair you're enough. never going to be able to see those messages unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> fair enough i feel like such a noob now barry we've got some important stuff to to chat today about uh, self-development and learning but more about some of the tricks triggers and things that happen within us. Uh, let's talk about develop and grow. Develop and grow. Right, Chad. So the 2021 year of reading is kicked off with a <laughs> banger. And I've just finished the first book of the year, which is this book I'm holding up for the YouTube viewers called Lost Connections. And it's written by a guy called Johan Hari. And it is one of the most moving books that I think I've ever read. Okay. I found it almost emotional in some instances because it talks about the world of depression. It talks about the world of mental health. And of course, it's something we talk about a lot on Across the Pond because it's something that is so relevant for so many people, us included, Chad. Like mental health is such an important conversation to have. And I think that the, 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 the depression is something that really ravages our society but kind of lives in the shadows. A lot of people don't want to talk about it because it's difficult to talk about it. It's co it's complicated. It's confusing. It's, it's, it, it's icky. And so unfortunately, it's something we don't talk about around the dinner table. Um, and what books like this do is try to bring that conversation to light and try to bring it up as, as normal conversation so we can actually deal with these problems instead of just ignoring them. Yep. And so I found it an amazing book. I, I've never really read anything about depression before, even though I've gone through very dark periods in my life, which I, I think was depression and I called it depression at the time. I've never really read up much about it. And this book really gave me a good sense as to the debate that is currently raging in the academic community between two different things. And this is kind of the, the crack of the book. Is depression a brain chemistry thing? So is there something broken in your brain, some sort of chemical imbalance that needs to be fixed with chemical antidepressants so it's out of your control? Yep. Or is depression a societal thing where you, you maybe your social circumstances are not going the way you want it to, your life is not turning out the way you want, and that is then impacting on how you feel? And that debate is a very complicated one. I'm not nearly qualified enough to determine what that is. But we've seen like on both sides of the coin, good and bad. On the sides of antidepressants, antidepressants have worked for a lot of people. They've yep. really helped millions and millions of people around the world. But we've also seen the, the, the extreme of it where they often be overprescribed and have ruined lives as people get addicted to these drugs or they become, they become a crutch or yep. they become something that they rely on in order to function in your day-to-day -day life. So that, that's the one side of the, the coin. And then the societal side, there's, there's one side of this personal development thing of, cool, we can take control of our lives and we can improve things and we can really get better and, and get happier and that's a 
great side of that side of the coin. But then there's the extreme side of that where unfortunately you get to this self-help guru stage where there's all these positive thinking and all of this this nonsense that kind of can get addictive and can get really, mm. really into your psychology. And then if your life doesn't change, you feel like a failure anyway and you kind of get even worse down the cycle. So it's so complicated, Chad. But this book, for the first time for me, laid it out in such a compassionate way, in such a, like a well-thought-out way. It, it wasn't trying to patronize you. It wasn't trying to say, this is the right answer or this is the right answer. It really dealt with it in a very, very interesting way. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. That's amazing. I'm, I'm definitely keen to dig into it more uh, just to kind of get what you got from the book specifically, Barry. Uh, but you're so right. A topic that is incredibly important, that one of depression. I think for a lot of people who have not been clinically diagnosed as being depressed it's something that uh, you know a lot of people just can't understand and, and can't empathize with if you've never uh, been in that really dark place and so the consequence of that is you do get all of these alternate theories of what causes this and you know whether it is like you say chemicals that, that can be fixed with medication or whether there is something else uh, intrinsic uh, you know that that needs attention um, but I've certainly empathized with the stories of uh, a lot of friends of mine who I'm very grateful uh, for actually opening up on this topic uh, to kind of give me a bit of oversight and, uh, you know, just ultimately uh, arm me as well uh, for the eventuality that is, you know, essentially at some point in time, life circumstances don't happen in the way that they should. And potentially you land up in this, uh, you know, depressive state, hopefully with a little bit more information than you had before. Definitely. It's one of those, it's one of those things that if we do it on our own and we think we're the only person going through this, it can be absolutely demoralizing. It can destroy your life. And unfortunately, it does destroy millions of lives across the world. But if you're able to talk about it, you're able to connect with other people, you yeah. realize that this is a common thing. Unfortunately, in today's world, in this very advanced brain of ours, we still have these psychological um, like barriers and these psychological like cycles that we go down when things aren't going our way and of course there's a difference between sadness and depression and it's very controversial as to what depression actually means but the way the book kind of describes it which i really love is that breaking it down to its simplest form depression is just a form of grief for connections you don't have so these connections could be to other people, they could be to yourself, they could be to nature, they could be to meaningful work, they could be to your hopeful future, etc. It's this, this feeling of lack, or I don't have what I need to be psychologically stable and to be happy. Right. And I think it's something we can all we can all relate to. We all have gone through that, those stages in life, and a lot of us are going through it right now in the yep. midst of 2020's chaos. Yep. We've got a hole in our life. And whether it's because we're single, we don't have a partner, or whether we're in a job that we hate, or whether we just don't have the life that we thought we were going to have, or whether it's financial, or all of these things that impact on our happiness, it's that lack that we think of. And that is kind of the, the grief of depression. And that's what really stood out to me, Chad, is that I've never heard anyone describe it like that to me. This lack that we can try and work to fix. And so, spoiler alert, the book kind of says that <laughs> antidepressants as a chemical solution are overprescribed and they are overemphasized versus the social circumstances of trying to fix your life and trying to move your life in a way where you can get connected to those things that you're missing out on. And I, I really love that and it really resonated with the way that I've gone through my dark periods in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a wonderful sort of definition, if you'd like, because what it does do is it forces you to uh, introspect and figure out what is it that you're grieving for? What is it? What? Where, where are your connections lacking? Um, and ultimately, you can then uh, make a concerted effort to try and build connections in those particular spheres. Now, obviously, 
certainly a lot of the time it's easier said than done uh you know and a lot of times it's not like you haven't tried to build connections uh but you know they're just not happening um and you know especially in some of these these topics that that, that you mentioned barry you know life partners work all this kind of stuff uh this is not you know really trivial easy things that we can fix by uh you know by by just making a little bit more of an effort but it certainly does give us at least uh, a little bit of hope i guess um and and a little bit of a path towards uh you know making ourselves feel a little bit better uh, over time it's it's more empowering of a story that's what i find and that's mm. what's so powerful about it in my mind because one of his major criticisms of the whole chemical antidepressant kind of movement we've seen in past years is that it disempowers the people because it kind of says to you your brain is broken sorry yep. for you your brain yep. is broken therefore take these pills for the rest of your life in order to feel some sort of stability and that completely tears that autonomy and that freedom of choice and that that empowerment away from those people because they, they then they end up telling themselves, okay, I'm a broken person. My brain yeah. is broken. Yeah. And so it's such a fine line because those drugs definitely do help. Yeah. But it, when it comes down to changing your life and, and making the kind of um, shifts in habits and shifts in people around you and those sorts of things, like you say, it's incredibly difficult, especially when you're in a dark place. It's, it's very easy for us to say, okay, cool, go and make new friends. And then you're sitting there like, what the hell? How the hell am I supposed to do that when I'm absolutely miserable all the time? Yeah. But it does mean that you've got a root You've got a path that you can take control of if you want to. And you can really feel empowered to say, cool, I can now see the holes in my life. I can see where I've got lost connections. How on earth do I go and connect in those spheres? And that is when you can start reaching out to people. You can start reading about things. You start looking for professional help from, from psychologists or whatever the story is, counselors, that sort of thing, to try and get you out of that hole. And I'm not saying it's easier at all. I mean, I know people have suffered way more than I have. Yep. But I've seen in my own life is that when I do the difficult work and I actually stare the dragon in the face and I actually realize what is it that is causing me to be so miserable? And when I actually name it and I write about it, I journal about it, I talk to friends about it, all of a sudden the dragon doesn't look as big anymore yep. and it starts to shrink and shrink and shrink. And you start to realize that you can make choices in your life that can move you towards a better space. And that's all we're trying to do. All yep. of us are trying to just move in the right direction. And we go through ups and downs and we get off the path and we get back on the path and we go through all these bits and pieces throughout our life. But I think it's a great framing of realizing that in our darkest periods, it's not that we are broken people. It's not that we are inevitably going to stay there for the rest of your life. It's not that your brain doesn't work anymore and that's why you can't get happy. Yep. It's, it's, it's more a social thing around your lifestyle is not the way it should be or could be. And there are steps you can take if you choose and if you have the work ethic and the, the motivation and the, 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 the way to move forward is to acknowledge that, that lost connection yep. and then try and fix it. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the hurdles that I think is stopping a lot of people is the stigma that surrounds mental health more broadly and specifically uh, depression because of the fact that a lot of people just haven't understood it. Uh, they've been in fortunate positions uh, where things do work out as planned, um, but unfortunately that's not how it works for, for the rest of us, right? Um, and so to remove some of the stigma as well and start talking about some of these things, I think we'll... Uh, pull down that hurdle ultimately that starts to let people have these conversations and like you say Barry the kind of ability to have a 
conversation with a friend or uh, I suppose even in that professional setting of talking to a counsellor or psychologist uh, has, is so helpful for people because ultimately a lot of the time you, you're talking yourself down uh, in your own head uh, and it's only when you start to have these conversations to kind of hash out these concepts, make sense of what it is that you're thinking, uh, that you start to, to get clarity, right? You start to gain perspective uh, even more importantly. Um, so yeah, hopefully we can remove some of that stigma, which will lead to more conversations, uh, which we all, of course, need. And uh, it's it's a key part of us. We are social creatures, whether we like it or not. And so that's how we get through things. We talk through things. And the females have already figured this out. Our, our female <laughs> friends have already figured all of this out. It's us men that struggle with yeah. this a lot, is being able to open up and talk about things that, that show weakness or show vulnerability or show moments where we aren't the macho, strong men that we all want to be. And so I think it's something that, as, as men specifically, I'm really passionate about trying to talk about and trying to bring to light is because we're not that good at it. But the whole world needs to get better at this communication. And, and that's what this book kind of talks about is that the way the 21st century works is that we've all isolated ourselves. We don't know our neighbors anymore. We yep. don't know the people in our yep. community. We're very, very isolated. And we are the loneliest generation ever because we just aren't living in those communities we used to live in in generations gone past. And what that has done is it's made us think that we're the only person going through this. It's made us believe that when we're sitting on our couch at home, on a Friday night without no one to care about us, mm. we think we're the only one. And the sad thing is that probably in your apartment complex, there's probably <laughs> 10 other people sitting there doing exactly the so same true. thing. And, and so that's where this connection means so much. And whether it's going to join some sort of activity, whether it's going to start a new hobby, whether it's connecting with people online, whatever it is, we have to reach out and connect in a professional sense, definitely, but also in an informal sense with people that, that are around us or friends of ours or, or whatnot. If we don't connect and we don't talk about these things, no one's going to figure it out for you. No one's going to kind of come into your brain and read your mind, right? You have to be yep. brave enough to say, listen, I feel terrible. I feel like I'm in a dark hole and I just want to tell someone about it. And if and if someone is a good listener and you've got a friend who cares about you, that's what they want to hear from you because that's what they're there for. That is what they're there for. And so I want to encourage everybody, first of all, to pick up this book and read it if you're struggling and if, you, if you're interested in this sort of topic. Yep. But more importantly, if you're feeling dark in a dark period, if you're feeling down, if 2020 has just battered and bruised you the whole year, phone a friend talk yep. to somebody like just vent rant shout at somebody like get it out of your brain because i promise you the mere act of communicating it is going to be the first step towards realizing that the dragon isn't as big as you thought absolutely love that thank you so much barry just a reminder for those listening the book is called lost connections by johan hari uh, and yeah, I completely agree with all of that stuff, uh, especially given our current set of circumstances. I think we're all feeling a bit down in the dumps, right? Uh, so let's just be there for each other. Let's be there for each other. That's, that's what the point is. Barry, that wraps up one heck of an episode uh, again <laughs> of Across the Pond. I've absolutely loved this one. Season two is off with a bang here, Chad. 2021 is looking really good for the podcast. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you did too if you're listening or watching. Wherever you are on the world, if you've come here because you're one of Mitch's fans, we welcome you and we hope you'll <laughs> stick around because we, we love the kind of stuff, these topics that, that Mitch loves as well. And so I've really enjoyed it, Chad. Thank you for your time. And if you love the stuff, if you, if you want to be involved in 
these kind of topics and conversations, please reach out to us. All of our social media channels are always open. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, we look forward to coming back again next week, Chad, and hitting yep. the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. And just talking to that, Barry, as well, everyone can leave us a voice message as well, which is really cool. So in the show notes of every single episode, uh, there's a little link there that you can click and send a little voice message to us. What do you want to see on the podcast? Uh, what did you enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? Do you have any specific things you'd like us to talk about? Uh, communicate with us we want to hear from you thank you for tuning in and as always we'll see you next week Pond, across the pond.